0: Pistol reading. This is also the epistle reading for uh, third week at Advent this past Sunday. Uh, and it's, I'm going to preach on this text tonight. First Thessalonians 5, 16-24. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Okay, if you could uh, keep your bulletin open to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 24 and let's talk about that for a few minutes. Whenever there's a small crowd, I like go from preaching mode to like more conversational mode. But I, I talk twice as long, so this could very easily it could be a, a 50 minute sermon. Um, yeah, I kinda, the, the verses I kind of want to focus on, and we'll look at a couple others, are uh, verses 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, and uh, talk about what does that mean. Now, when you first look at this, it's maybe not super clear why this would be an Advent text. There's not anything in here about waiting for Jesus' return. Uh, or anything like that. But in First Thessalonians let me just uh, kind of reset where First Thessalonians is at, and maybe this will help make a little bit more sense. In First Thessalonians four, um, Paul tells them, "Don't freak out because people who you love, who are Christians, have died, don't freak out, that they're not left out now, just because they've died. When Jesus returns, he'll raise them up first. So be comforted. Uh, those people, the, our, our friends and loved ones who have died before us will get raised from the dead when Jesus returns. Uh, and then First 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about the return of Jesus again. He says, you don't need to forget about this. This is, the, this is the text where he says, uh, the day of the Lord, Jesus coming back, he, he'll come back like a thief in the night, but not for you guys, he says, because you, you're, you're ready for this. So stay sober and be prepared, be ready. And so he's, this is what he's been talking about, is the second coming of Christ. And here at the end, he's kind of grappling, I think, with a little bit of this, you know, he's telling them, just wait. You know, stay awake, be sober. Um, but he knows that, like, waiting for the new creation, waiting for everything to be fixed, waiting for Jesus to return and make all things new, that it's definitely frustrating at times because everybody... Every human being has a sense that things aren't the way they should be. Christians know that too, but they also have this notion that it is going to be fixed in the future. It is going to be fixed in the future. So the the, the conflict between those two things, the reality of, this is, things are kind of crummy, but things are going to be made new when Jesus returns, those realities butt head sometimes and create conflict, and here at the end, Paul just wants to say, rejoice, pray, Give thanks, and the key thing that that combines these all—I mean, you can—I don't have to tell you guys this—you you know, English, you can read—is this notion of always rejoice, always pray without ceasing, don't stop praying, and give thanks in all circumstances. Always give thanks. So it's this like keep on keeping on, keep on rejoicing, keep on giving thanks, keep on praying, and let's talk tonight real quick about those three things and what it means to you know to be Advent people and to be confident that Jesus is returning. That, you know, as uh, Martin Luther King said, and he was quoting, actually, Martin Luther King Jr., and he was quoting a preacher from about 100 years before. Like, the arc, of, the arc of history tends towards justice. It's a very Christian thing to believe. That there is a God who will make things right in the end. How can we rejoice and give thanks and pray, living in the world that we're living in now? So, first of all, rejoice always in uh, verse 16. Um, how are we able to rejoice all the time? How are we able to... Re- how should we be able to rejoice all the time? There's definitely an answer in the New Testament. And I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to read you three texts and see if you can, see if you can, think that, if you can hear the thing that, that it's, all of them have to do with rejoicing and having joy. What's the thing that combines all three of these things? All right. So I'm going to read you a text from Romans, from Galatians, and then another text from First Thessalonians. So first of all, Romans 14. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy... In the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. All right. You got Galatians 5, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, etc. And then 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, just a few verses before this. Actually, it functions as a kind of a bookend to this text here at the end. He says, And you became imitators of us, Paul says, and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction, but with the joy of the Holy Spirit. With the joy of the Holy Spirit. So again, I have a high opinion of your guys' intellect and your ability to comprehend basic English. Everybody in here knows that the thing that Paul says in all three of these texts, the source of joy is the Holy Spirit. Life in the Holy Spirit enables us to always be rejoicing, to always be rejoicing, right? So how does this work? The Holy Spirit is, you know, think a lot about the Holy Spirit and, um, you know, what does the Holy Spirit do? There's kind of some big things in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit gives gifts uh, to the church to combine us all in one and to, uh, to, to equip us to serve each other and to serve our communities. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives fruit, grows us up in Christ-likeness, like, you know, fruit, love and joy and peace and, and so forth. Mainly, though, in the story of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and if you're not familiar with this, I'll try and say this slowly, the, the Holy Spirit is the sign that new creation has happened, all right? That's the main thing the Holy Spirit is in the Bible. Third person in the Trinity. The Old Testament prophets talk about this frequently. Isaiah talks about it at the end of Isaiah, where he says, I'm gonna pour my Holy Spirit out out on all you all someday. Joel 2 is a classic text, where he says basically the same thing, that when new creation happens, when the day of the Lord comes, your young men and your old men will will see visions, uh, the maidservants and uh, the, the women who are in charge, uh, everybody, all ages, all socioeconomic strata. Well, this is new. It, it, you know, from Joel and Isaiah's perspective, this is new stuff. Because in the Old Testament, not everybody gets gifted by the Holy Spirit. Not everybody gets gifts for ministry. Mainly you see kings, like Saul has the Holy Spirit poured out on him when he's called by Samuel. You see prophets, priests, like the big shots get the Holy Spirit, but the prophets tell us there's coming a day when everybody's going to get the Holy Spirit who's in Jesus Christ. So when Paul insists you guys have the Holy Spirit, he's basically saying the new creation is here. You guys are living in the new creation. If anybody's in Christ, they are in the new creation, Second Corinthians 5 says. Well, what is that? Well, this doesn't feel like the new creation. It feels like everything's real crummy. Well, it's an already-not-yet situation. God is already making us and everything else new by the power of the gospel. He's not yet completely done it. That's why we have sickness and wars and racism and money troubles and relational conflict and what, what, all, all the rest of the lot. But we are already living in the last days. We are already living in God's new creation. He's making this new, fresh humanity. This, and St. James, to me, like since, since, I, since I've been here in 2018, St. James is really a remarkable sign that this is the case, that God is calling a fresh family and a fresh community. There are people here at this church who have fallen in love with each other. I don't mean in the romantic sense. I mean people who love each other who didn't necessarily get along before they got here. And that's a Holy Spirit thing. It's a sign that Jesus has come, poured out his Holy Spirit, and all things are being made new. And what this means is that We have this new ultimate reality, and I'm kind of piggybacking on some stuff I said in the sermon last Sunday, but the the new ultimate, new creation is more real than the old creation. Now, they, they, they overlap and interlock, like my body will always be the body I have, even after Jesus returns. He's raising this body, but my resurrection body will be far more tactile, far more real, far more permanent than this body is. One of the things that distinguishes, well, this is kind of a a big, bold statement. I don't know if I want to make big, general statements. I'll say it this way, though. I know a lot of people, a lot of people uh, who I talk to, and um, I always think this when I I teach a a history or religion class at Lewis and Clark, I always think, well, first of all, I think these kids are really young. Like 18-year-olds look like little babies. And the second thing I think is, is, it's kind of heartbreaking to me to see, and they'll tell you this out loud, how lonely they are and how bored they are with their lives. Like just everything is kind of boring and lonely. And they have these little tiny bursts of happiness that they live for. You know, it could be going out on the weekend. It could be some sort of hookup. It could be Watching their favorite college football team this week. It could be any sort of thing. But it's not their, that's not their fundamental reality. Their fu- fundamental reality that they live with is I, I'm not, I-, I don't really care for existence. Um, so you have, you have this deep, deep sadness covered over by temporary bits of happiness. This is the interesting thing about Christians, people who know Jesus, is that they will have pockets of sadness, sometimes real deep sadness real deep existential grief, but deep down underneath that, there'll be this like permanent joy. I don't mean that Christians are like, Christians are not always happy. So that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Christians, even when they're not happy, have underneath this deep sense that new creation is here. So all things will be well. This is not the end of the, my loneliness and boredom or my grief or my fear of death. That's not my fundamental reality. I have all those things. But it's not my, I am bored sometimes, I'm frequently lonely, but that's not my fundamental reality. Deep down underneath of that is this sense, this knowledge, this lived in relational experience with God that he's the one who comes to us and will eventually make all things new. And that's the fuel, the Holy Spirit, living life in the Holy Spirit in the new creation. That's what I'm saying. Living life in the new creation is the fuel for rejoicing always. Okay, pray without ceasing. This is verse 17. How are we able to pray without stopping? So first of all, that doesn't mean like you can never stop praying. It just means don't stop praying, right? Like don't, don't give up talking to God. Don't abandon your relationship with God. Well, how can we do that? Okay, I'm gonna read a couple texts to you from Romans and from Ephesians. And you tell me what praying without, what, what praying, what's the heart of prayer for Paul in these texts, all right? So likewise, this is Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit Helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Okay, where does prayer come from in Romans eight? And the answer is same thing, same place joy comes from, life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, even when we don't know what, we're, even when we have no words to pray, the Holy Spirit is groaning in us, through us, for us. That's where the, that's the heart of our prayer life. Which this is. I don't, maybe this is like philosophical and esoteric, but if if you think of prayer as fundamentally me asking God for things, or even like me talking to God, this is true, but fundamentally prayer is, so uh, we typically, you can pray to the Holy Spirit, you can pray to Jesus, that's encouraged. We do that uh, sometimes in church, we even do it. Typically though, we pray to God the Father. We pray to God the Father in Jesus' name, which is a fancy way of saying that we go into his throne room, into his presence because of what Christ has done for us, because being united to Christ. We go in with our brother, united to our brother, Jesus. And then Paul says in Romans 8, when we do pray, it's the Spirit who's praying through us. So what's happening is, is that when you pray, it's the Holy Spirit praying through you, groaning through you in the person of Jesus to God the Father. So what's really happening is the Father, Son, and Spirit are having this conversation that they've been having for infinity past and into infinity future. And what prayer is, is just us getting invited and pulled in to be a part of it, to participate, to add our own voice to the conversation. It's like going to the coolest party with wh- whoever your version of a celebrity is or a famous person that you'd want to talk to. You know, you're, the, the, uh, the, the golf foursome, the three people that you'd want to play golf with for any time in history. To go into that conversation, but it's even better than that because it's the three people at the heart of the, the, heart of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and being invited to this party and being invited over to hang out with us and join this conversation with us. That's what prayer does because prayer is in the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what, what's important about this? If we have the Holy Spirit, so in the Old Testament, let's go back to the Old Testament, not everybody had the gifts of the Spirit. Also in the Old Testament, were you always in the special presence of God in the Old Testament? No, you weren't. You had to go to the temple for that, right? I mean, God's everywhere, yes, but his special presence is in his house. In Jerusalem. Well, now that the Holy Spirit's come, Paul says that we are the temple. of the. Whole, you have the Holy Spirit. You are now the temple. In Jesus, we are the temple, which means you don't have to go anywhere to be in God's presence. Everywhere you are, you are in God's presence. Everywhere you are, you are queued up for prayer. And basically all this is, what, he, what he's saying is, is like, you're, God's always with you. You're always in the presence of God. You're always in the temple because you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit yourself. So just don't stop praying. If you and I were to hang out, let's say we decided we're going to hang out all day. And I come over to your house early in the morning, like 9 o'clock. I wish that was early. But I come over in the morning, and we sit down, and we have a bowl of cereal together. And then we go take a walk. And then we go play golf. And then we do some yard work. And then we come back and we watch TV. And not once during the day do either of us say anything to each other. That would be weird. Like if I'm with you for more than 10 seconds and nobody says anything, it starts to get awkward. This is what Paul is saying. God is always with you. Stop making it awkward. Just talk to him. Pray without ceasing. Okay. Uh, uh, Third thing and final thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Verse 18. How are we able to give thanks for everything? What do you think the answer is going to be? I'll give you one text here. First Corinthians 14, 16. When you It's talking about life in the church. When you are praising God in the Spirit, the inquirer, the seeker who's there in church with you, will be able to say amen to your thanksgiving. So again, 1 Corinthians 14, Paul connects thanksgiving with life in the Spirit. Thanksgiving is life in the Spirit. If we have the Holy Spirit, which means we're living in the new creation now, then everything is, don't hear what I'm not saying, everything is fundamentally good. I don't mean that all of life is good. Again, there is deep grief. There's deep loneliness. There's mental health issues. There's physical pain that you can't shake that's chronic. There's relational separation and conflict that gets in the way of happiness. But even when that's the case, everything is still fundamentally good because new creation guarantees that, like Romans 8 says, All things work together for good to those who love God. That's, I I, I hate the it's almost like used flippantly now, and I gotta be careful how I say that, except just to say I'm not denying pain. I'm not denying the brokenness of living in an Advent world. But everything is still fundamentally good. If God's in charge and the new creation's on its way, he's completely in charge, right? So this is a C.S. Lewis quote. It's pretty good about that. He says, we ought to give thanks. He's talking about Thanksgiving. Lewis says, we ought to give thanks for all fortune, if it's good, because it's good. If good stuff's happening to you, give thanks to God because it's good. If it's bad, though, because it works in us, patience, humility, contempt of this world, and the hope of our eternal country. But either way, it's good, fundamentally. It's good, fundamentally. High school students, this is, uh, I, I, just, I preached in chapel at Mel's this week. I just used this illustration, so excuse me. I'll do it again. Some of you have heard it before, too. So I had a cat when I was a kid that a stray that came over. I won't tell the whole story, but my mom had to. Uh, my mom uh, fed that cat. Would give that cat uh, food, right? That's what you do with a pet. Uh, she would give the cat food, and she also, from time to time, she would give that cat flea baths, right? The cat was thankful for the food. Like if you give the cat, you know, if you they hear the they hear the the can open that's got the food in it, you know, and they'll come up and they'll purr and they'll rub your legs and whatnot. Very thankful for the food. Never thankful for the, for the flea bath, right? But that's because the cat's stupid and the cat can't understand my mom, right? The cat didn't know. And my mom, as I said in chapel, my mom could never explain. She never succeeded in explaining to that cat that this is actually a good situation for you. Like, you should be grateful to me because, you know, the cat never did connect. The flea bath, which it hated, with it's not itching 24 hours later. Never, the cause and effect, never. It just thought this crazy lady periodically tries to drown me. That's what it thought. But that's just because the cat can't understand. It's because the cat can't understand my mom. We're like an animal when we're thankful for the good things, when we're thankful for the cat food, but we're not thankful for the flea bath. And you don't have to enjoy the flea bath. Nobody's asking you to do that. That'd be completely unrealistic. Go read the book of Job. Go read the book of Habakkuk. I just read Habakkuk lately. And Habakkuk's the same situation. This is miserable. God, why are you doing this to us? But both the food and the flea bath are necessary in God's economy. And so in both of those, even if we don't understand them, and even if one of them is painful, we can be thankful always because the universe is not random. The flea bath is not the universe's attempt to drown us. The flea bath is a sovereign God who's bringing about new creation's attempt to purify us and clean us so we can always be thankful. Now, what's the guarantee? I'll be talking about new creation, right? But what's the guarantee that rejoicing always, praying always, and giving thanks always is a realistic thing to do when around us it looks like there's chaos and evil? Two things here real quick. This will take 30 seconds. We'll be done. First of all, God's desire is to give you thanks. Well, just verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There's two ways to read this. One is the way that I read it in church growing up. You should rejoice, you should give thanks, and you should pray because God's telling you to do it. It's God's will for you. Okay, but God's will doesn't just mean like he's making these rules you have to follow. God's will is what he wants. God's will is his heart. God wants, in other words, it's another way of saying, God wants you to be joyful. He wants you to be happy. God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to pray. He wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to give you things that would bring thankfulness from you. See, our God is a good God. And whether it's cat food or a flea bath, what he does is he does to make us happy. And the flea bath doesn't do it right away, but it does it the next day. And so we can rejoice because he's a God who likes it when we're happy with him. We can pray and talk to him because he's a God who likes talking to us. He likes hanging out with us. We we, uh, 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 We can be thankful because he's a God who likes to give us good things to be thankful for. That's the first thing is God's desire is for this. And the second thing is, it's God's mission. Last line and we'll be done. Verse 24, we haven't looked down this far in the reading. He who calls, he's talking about God's guarantee that he's going to sanctify us completely. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He's gonna bring about new creation. He wants to do it and he guarantees that he will do it. He is creating a world where joy, relationship and thankfulness are an everyday occurrence. So let's trust him for it. Even though we don't see it yet, let's trust him for it because he's bringing that to pass. All right, let's pray, and then we'll, um, uh, I think we're taking up the offering or something like that. Father, thank you for loving us and for being good to us. Thank you for, thank you for being not a vindictive God. Thank you for being uh, not a pagan God who demands us to sacrifice for you. But we, we praise and thank you, Lord, for being the kind of God who wants us to rejoice and does things so that we can rejoice, who wants a relationship with us and wants us to be thankful and does things for us and to us to cause us to be thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.